Um, if you want to just get started by introducing yourself and what you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. And uh, my name is Jess Rizzo, R-I-Z-O. And um, a plethora of things, but as of late, uh, my best known title, actor, comedian. And um, I'm chatting with you today because that's your specialty, comedy. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I just uh, relocated partially. I mean, I, I Arizona is my home base, Phoenix, Arizona but I still have a lot of business in Los Angeles, which is where I've resided the last 15 years. So um, just kind of getting myself acclimated to Arizona and the whole squad out here and making the rounds at the comedy scene. And yeah, yeah. it's been great. Where, where did you live before LA? So I've been in California my whole life. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I'm a NorCal kid, Silicon Valley. Mm. And then um, had been in L.A. the last 15 years, but all over L.A. I mean, but central L.A., Hollywood, the valley, the beach side, but okay. all predominantly with an emphasis on being close to the entertainment business. Yeah. So when you when you were a kid, you were like able to visit L.A. as a whole. And then you knew at some point you were going to move there or. No, not at all. Um a completely different uh, turn of events than I could have ever anticipated. I had no uh, idea what LA was or Hollywood. I came from somewhat a business acumen. I didn't go to college, but right out of high school, I started working corporate America. Mm. I mean, like immediately after um, and uh, like heavy corporate, like uh, high end finance, lending, processing uh, in the mortgage space. And um one of the companies I worked for early on, right out of high school, sent me to LA for a training program and I just fell in love. I was only attending to stay there for the program for the, I think it was like two months. Yeah. And uh, ended up partnering with some of my colleagues and we started our own mortgage company um, in downtown LA. And then kind of the rest is history. I was one of those people who like knew what LA was once I was there had an entertainment aspiration, never really mm -hmm. pursued it until I was in LA. Yeah. And that was primarily for the fact that when I'm sure we'll get into it is uh, falling on tough times. I came from that corporate space where not having a college degree, but um, being in a business that at a certain point um, had plummeted and not having anything else to fall back on. And then um, kind of started delving into the entertainment industry by uh, kind of in essence, uh, a desperation because it was like, well, what else is people, you know, my business is suffering. I don't have a degree in anything else, but I want to do something that's creative and that, you know, I can find passion in. And I didn't really know what that was going to be, but I fell into the arts. Yeah. So yeah. would you say that the end goal is to be in movies and TV or is like, do you want to be a touring comedian full time or like, where's, where's that world? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get that often. They're totally different animals for me. So yeah. I, I, I started in uh, print modeling and commercials and <clears throat> print modeling um, comes and goes for me. I could take it or leave it. It's lucrative. Uh, it's fun for what it's worth, but it's not who I am. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, that doesn't require a whole lot of personality or a whole lot of it is what it is. You know, you're a mannequin. And I mean, granted, you know, that the, the California market for modeling, as opposed to the high fashion market, which was something I never really did, um, right. requires a lot more personality because you're doing this fun stuff. But anyway, so I did the print modeling stuff. 
early on in my career. And then I longing for more, I got into the commercials, fell in love, did incredibly well for many years commercially, um, many national commercials over the years. And Do you then, have a favorite um, one out of those? Pardon? Do you have a favorite one out of those during that time period that you did? I did one with uh, for Holiday Inn Express with, uh, 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 what's the guy? Um, he's Super Dave's like son, I forget. Like <laughs> Robbie, no, not Super Dave. Uh, Robbie Knievel. Oh, okay. Knievel's son, sorry, yeah, yeah. not Super Dave. But it was, a, it was like, a. I mean, I didn't do much. I played um, kind of off uh, a sideline. It wouldn't even be a cheerleader, but my a girl and I were cheering him on to do this massive jump over a <laughs> like the Grand Canyon or something. And yeah. he goes to do this jump and it appears as though he crashes, but he sends a test dummy in his place. And then um we go running out. Um the whole media is like, Well, where if this is fake, where is Robbie? Yeah. And we find him in his trailer and he's like Hey guys, sorry, but you know, I was staying at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and you know, it was. I, I it remember was silly. this. I remember this commercial. Yeah, it yeah, played a lot. Silly. It, it played was, a, it was lot. a long time ago. In fact, I want to say it might have been my second or third commercial ever in my career. Really? But it was a lot of like it was on location. They built a really cool set. Like it was a couple of days of shooting. Uh, yeah. So those for me, regardless of, unless you're a spokesperson. I would say about 90% of commercials, you're not ever really saying much. It's all reactions and yeah. it's really short lived. So, I mean, if you blink in some of my commercials, you'll miss me, but I made a really good living. The experiences were incredible and um, it was interesting enough to keep going to say the least. But even, even with commercials, you know, it's kind of like I said, it's like, if you are an artist like mm-hmm. me and yourself, um, sometimes you just long for, you kind of, you're hungry for more and you're hungry for more knowledge, hungry for more experience, hung, hungry yeah. for other opportunities. And so, uh, I started taking acting classes mm. and, um, and even commercial acting is entirely different than TV and film acting. Yeah. And 100%. TV and film acting is incredibly different than theater acting, which is a big misconception of like actors that come from New York with a theater background and actors that come from TV and film going to New York, trying to do theater or Broadway. And so, um, but I, I did, I did the whole LA thing. I got into all the top schools you could have ever imagined, whether it was Meisner, Cold Reading, Stanislavski, Leslie Kahn. I mean, you name it, I was doing yeah. them all. And um, I got my theatrical break uh, in an independent film. It was a lead. I got to go out to Colorado. Honestly, the film was shit when it was all said and done <laughs> for a lot of reasons that I had no control over. Um, <laughs> But it was a good experience. It was a good experience and it made me hungry for more. Yeah. So to somewhat answer your question in short form, the, the TV and film as opposed to the stand-up comedy are two different interests and passions of mine. I would say in some regard equal in terms mm. of my interest and my excitement about them. If I had it my way, um, I'd be a series regular on a show and in the off season be on tour for comedy. Right. And I, you know, that's, that's, a common, I mean, you think of Whitney Cummings or, um, or, 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 um, Dane Cook or, or, uh, oh God, some, uh, Sarah Silverman, like some of these guys that have all yeah, so been many. comics and then had a film career or a TV career in the interim or vice versa, you know, one took off before the Kevin Hart. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the ideal world, uh, for me, but I would have to say that 
the one thing with stand up, unlike TV and film, you're in a lot more control. You kind of get what you give. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know that, like you were talking to me about just like being out in the circuit, like your success, of your podcast and the relationships you've created over the years with TV and film, you could have the best agent, the best opportunities. And there are so many factors far beyond your control for actually getting the part. Yeah. And, um, I've had some amazing opportunities over the years that, I mean, when I really think about, I, I know that there are just actors that just haven't had that mm -hmm. are incredibly talented and just as worthy. So for me, it's just being grateful for the opportunity, putting in the work, but I'm less in control of that. So, yeah. um, like, you know, yesterday I had a, a film read, great project, studio film. I'd be a lead. It was a very kind of like a, um, had like a Lord of the Rings feel good budget, uh, read for it. And now it's off, off to the races. Yeah. I may hear something. I may never hear anything. And it means nothing. <laughs> yeah. <all>. Yeah. <laughs> and comedy, yeah. comedy can be that way too, but you are right. Like comedy is very much, that's what I, I love about it. And I know it's the same thing people hate about it is that it is your, you are the booker producer, everything of your act and trying to get it out there and trying to like find a maneuver. And I love that because like I am in control and I can kind of gauge but then again, same thing, I'll audition for like, let's say I'm auditioning for like late night television to do a five minute set on Conan. Uh, that's still an audition process and you may never hear back. You know, it's like, and yeah. it's, it's comedy and being like, did they not like my jokes? Who knows? <laughs> like, did they, who, whatever it was, you may never hear from. Um, and so you're always like kind of submitting for things. And those are like, you know, the icing on the cake. But like as a comedian, it's like a lot of it's just placed in your own hands to be booking and performing and meeting and networking. And, you know, until, until you get to a certain level where you're like, I really do need some kind of manager. But, you know, many right. people still book their own things. So, right. And yeah, I mean, just to further that a little bit, um, you know, like even with what we're dealing right now, the pandemic, um, there are very few uh, states open and, and welcoming entertainment. They may be open for the essentials. They may right. be open even like, I mean, even Arizona being completely open for better or worse. <laughs> There are some states have really just taken, and I wouldn't say serious because it, it would be putting down the uh, Arizona system, but <laughs> the reality is they're just, they're LA. Let's just talk about LA. Yeah. I had my last live show in Los Angeles, uh, March 11th of 2020. It was at the Irvine Improv. Great show, 300 people, um, great lineup. And March 15th, we shut down overnight. Like it was yeah. like everything was locked down, everything. I mean, it was like bare minimum CVS and, you know, grocery run kind of thing. And at the time I was one of those people admittedly that was like, oh, by summer we'll be good. And I had a, a, a short uh, tour uh, slated for the summer yeah. and I'd be featuring for a headliner. And uh, it was about three weeks. It wasn't going to be a huge tour, but it would have been my first road road tour. Oh, nice. And I said, Oh, by summer we'll be good. And here we are a year, year and change later. So, yeah. um, yeah. you know, the blessing became for me was, uh, just staying relevant, um, and being on stage 
with, with television and film, you're only as good as your last job. The first thing people ask who don't understand the industry. And even if they do is what have you been in? Where can I see you? And, and there's a, and, and it's almost like, unless you are on something at the moment, I learned to not get defensive about it because there was a time where I felt like, well, shit, if I didn't have anything running on TV right. or, you know, my last role was, you know, just a one liner on this show, co-star, whatever. I felt like I wasn't living up to the uh, title when it far supersedes that in terms of like someone who is constantly auditioning, someone who's getting constantly put on a veil, someone's getting constantly dealing with these producers. And, and that's, that's the work. That's the job. Looking it, yes. But like all that other stuff is just as much part of the job. With comedy, with stages shutting down and 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 we really, unless you know, you had some built-in deal and you're coming off of like, yeah, like you're coming off of a TV show like a Whitney Cummings or something, um, you're making money off of the more the merrier. The more tickets you sell, the more bodies in the room, the clubs are more willing to pay a stipend or something of that nature. And with the pandemic, that was like, Oh no, like less is more. Let's keep a distance. I just, yeah. I just been telling people I'm retired from comedy. That's what (laughs) I've been. I'm like, I did it, man. I, yeah. 12 years in and you know, now I'm coasting at this point. (laughs) Cause like, I think, you know, I've, I've only done in the last, like in a, a year, I think I've only done one headlining gig uh at all and um and that was by choice you know like at first it was like turning down a lot of things and everything was closed for a while and now it's just been I, i've been playing it safe and i'm like i'm just gonna focus on the podcast i'm gonna focus yeah. on writing things like i you know i have other angles to focus on as we as a you know this uh as i stay safe at home but um yeah i uh so you so you were saying you you lived in LA, you did the whole LA thing. Um, do you, I want to get your thoughts on, do you think, because uh, I always hear this, that people are leaving LA right now. They're moving to Austin, Texas, or, you know, Portland or Seattle or something, right? They're leaving LA and a lot of people are realizing that there's not the connections there used to be, or, you know, especially with every, uh, you know, 10 times that because of everything going on, but just in general, um, do you feel like that's needed anymore? Do you feel like you need that, like be in person network or is it, can you be anywhere in the U S? Okay. Uh, good question as well. I, I, um, and I think it's really yet to be determined and only because I'm in, I'm in the thick of it. Like I have this amazing team that made this transition into another state outside of, I mean, you, at a certain ex, you know, point or whatever, my entire life, my entire business, you know, is in LA mm-hmm. when you, when, you know, at the grand scheme of things, but us also not given that everything has gone to this virtual space. Yeah. So with the audition process, it was unheard of, um, in the last, I would say about 13 years of auditioning. I mean, we're talking about thousands of projects over the years, whether it was commercials or TV and film, it was unheard of that anything was done over tape, at least for the first call. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was unheard of. They were seeing, you know, thousands of actors a day coming in and out these doors. And, you know, that was half of the determent for some actors because they didn't have cars. You're running around all day. It's expensive. And if you have 10 auditions in a week and you don't book any, it's tough and it can weigh on you and it can weigh on your psyche. It can weigh on your bank account. It can weigh on your ability to uh, 
indulge in anything else from a financial standpoint. So a lot of starving artists, that's where they, you know, adapt that, that, that title. And because California is such an expensive place to be, especially Los Angeles, very, 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 very expensive. Um, and I didn't know that the cost of living was so substantially, um, lower here in Arizona. Like people said it and I was like, Oh yeah, it's right around the corner though. How, how much lower could it be? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mind blowingly lower. Yeah. And when I say it feels like in LA, aside from the ocean, um, like Scottsdale, some of these like more hip areas, it feels very LA to me anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. You think like, you know, when you're evaluating things, it's kind of just finding that balance. Some people need like, when I first started and then I got into the industry, it's like being an actor, calling yourself an actor and entertainer and living in the hub, if you will, was the way to be. Right. Um, the same thing like being in the union, being a union performer was the thing to be. We've seen the union fall apart and I'm all about unions because unions protect us, they pay us. I mean, they're incredible and I've made an incredible living as a union performer, but I've had to take non-union jobs because we've seen major like Verizon, Target, these companies that I would never have imagined go non-union go non-union, but if I'm not taking these opportunities, I'm missing out on income. And unless yeah. I decide another career path, I'm not adjusting to the times, then I'm gonna kind of fall back and, mm -hmm. and, and miss out. And, and to each his own. There are actors who refuse to do non-union work and still make right. an, a, a decent living, you know, or a great living, depending on how established they are. Um, but for me, I kind of pick and choose my battles when it comes to that. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, to answer your question, I don't know what the future holds with being present in somewhere like yeah. right now, every single one of my auditions, TV, film, print, um, are all self-taped. It gets sent off to the casting director, ad agency, whatever. And then it's at the discretion of the production company, the casting company, whatever, if they want to call actors back in for a callback in person. Right. And of the, I mean, I, I was telling you the other day, I mean, I had 25 TV and film auditions and then I've had another 15 commercial auditions and print auditions. Uh, there was only one that I missed that was in person where I couldn't make it back to LA in time from Arizona. And um, they didn't want to see actors over tape for callback and I lost out on the opportunity, but mm. you know, but one, you know, and yeah. so, um, and that wasn't enough of a reason for me to be in a lockdown state that's incredibly expensive. They don't have uh, a, a great package in terms of relief in place mm. that make, makes it desirable. Yeah. So um, I love California. I love Los Angeles. I love the business. I love the idea of, you know, being out on a hike and seeing the Hollywood sign. It's that reminder, um, you know, what that business was founded mm. on. You know, even the comedy clubs, walking through the comedy store and seeing the nostalgic photos and the signatures on the wall and, you know, the Hollywood improv. And these are all stages that I've been so blessed to perform at over the years. And that, if anything, is what I miss. But I'll go back and visit. And if a show, you know, I get picked up for a show, shoot the show and, and then in my off season, be back here, you know, mm. Uh, so, so I don't know, but I have my share, like my entire life is California. I needed the change. I wasn't sure exactly how it would work, but so far so good.
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you're seeing comedians that over the last few years, you're seeing comedians like Dave Chappelle lives in Ohio. You know, you're seeing uh, like Dan Cummings is a comic I met when I was up in Idaho. And he he moved from LA and now he has like one of the most successful podcasts and tours as a comedian. Joe and Rogan. Joe Rogan, yeah, more recently, yeah, moved to Austin. So there's just like so many handfuls of comedians that are like, yeah, you know what, the podcast, like right now on Zoom, and that's great. But then also for me, you know, the, last year I was supposed to be on this like big tour and everything. I was just going to fly out of Arizona and then just drive most of it. So it's like, it, it really wouldn't have mattered where I was. It would just be like the starting point, you know? And um, yeah, so it's like for a comedian, I, I see where I'm like, I don't understand the connection fully of being into a LA or New York unless it then it kind of turns into this going into the biz where it's like, uh, unless you're a comedian, then all of a sudden Comedy Central wants you to write on their new show and you right. have to be in LA then that's a different conversation, you know, but then that applies to like you where it's like, yeah, you're sending auditions, you're, you're doing all these things from here. And if like one of them say, yes, come to LA, you could rent out an Airbnb for six months if you really wanted to and just do that thing, you know, and still save money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And still be like, I have no contract here. And also this Airbnb is way nicer than the place I would have rented, you know, like, so right. Uh, especially yeah, for I, the cost a lot of times too yeah I mean, yeah you know, so I, 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 I just don't I've see lived it in some great mm-hmm. places I've owned in California um I, when I was in that mortgage industry I was blessed enough to buy my first home at 20 21 22 years old condo but looking back you know it's, it's one of those things like you really gotta um you gotta prioritize yeah when I first started and I didn't know exactly what within the entertainment space, I was passionate about what it, what it was, you know, some people are so attached to the fame. Some people are so attached to the notoriety and they're so attached to this, but they're not attached to the work or the sacrifice. Yeah. And I, I was one of those people in the beginning because I came from a corporate space that allowed me such a luxurious lifestyle, but I worked really hard, granted. Um, but knowing that I was that much more passionate about the arts and having to humble myself and humble my desires within that lifestyle to pursue the arts, uh, to the degree that I knew that I had to be, uh, yeah. was a great experience. And it, and it, tra- it, you know, talk about the value of a dollar and all of that, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties now and, you know, there's a whole Hollywood stigma too of, of ageism and, oh, you should be doing this by that age or that <laughs> by that age. And yeah, I'm one of those people who really, um, you know, is against that philosophy. I believe you can really come into your own at any age in life, any, any stage in life. And, um, you know, I, I'm a believer in, you know, for me, as many amazing things as I've accomplished in my lifetime, my best is truly yet to come. And it's just kind of one of those things that as long as I'm putting in the work, I'm confident in that journey. Yeah. Well, I, that's one thing I'd love about stand up, and, and I get, anytime I go to LA, I get stressed out about is very much like you're out there and everyone you meet in LA can be very much like, what do you do? What, like, what angle, like, they're like always trying to network too much. And, um, you know, they're like, why do you got followers on Instagram? You know, they're like tracking you down, you know, (laughs) who do you know? And, um, but then like, what I love about comedy is like, yeah, you could be 65 years old and have your Netflix special come out and then be like, 
you know, just super famous after that, but you're 60, you know? So that's why I love about comedy is like, it's like almost no one expects anything from you of any age, you know, until you're like so far in and done these, you know, it's, it's just like a, a path that I know for a fact that I've seen it because my, in the 12 years, it's like, I, I started off being a terrible comedian, horrible. And then I grew into a, a solid headliner and then once like that came around, it was like, then I started getting the gigs and started getting, you know, what I wanted. And it was like, oh, this is just all work. You know, it's not all just, um, you know, luck. It's not all just, uh, you know, someone's chose you because of one thing uh, that can happen. But also, you know, if you just put in the work it, over time, it pays off, you know, it really and does. I love that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a big advocate. Um, there's a big disconnect too with women and comedy and then women. This is one of those weird titles, but you got to kind of put it out there. It's something I've encountered over the years, attractive women in comedy mm. where the preconceived notion of a comedian I've learned it's so ridiculous and bizarre to me is quirky, goofy, you know, it's like this, this, this aesthetic <laughs> and I've never gotten so many in my entire career and which hasn't been long in stand up. I mean, I got, I did my first SAG commercial 2005, I want to say, and I've done a bunch of stuff since then in that space, but comedy for me was a three-year journey now mm. and counting. So stand-up that is. I did, I, I, I did study at Second City in Groundling, so I was doing sketch comedy and, and doing sketch comedy shows, which then turned into stand-up because myself and my other, you know, colleagues, you know, fellow students, we would go to sketch shows, we perform in sketch shows, and then we would go to comedy shows. And it oh, kind nice. of like yeah. was a you know a domino effect for me in terms of my level of interest of like delving into it more and more. Uh, but so with the comedy thing, for me, you know, you're met with, oh, you look like a model, like you're funny. Oh, you're a comedian. That's interesting. I never would have guessed. And I'm like, I don't know what a comedy comedian must look like. I don't know what the you know, especially with this generation too, where there's, you know, these TikTokers and YouTubers and memers yeah. and like everyone has this way of presenting their comedic side through the social space. And yeah. for me, it's touch and go. You know, I don't go out of my way to post memes or funny videos or take to the gram and I have nothing against it. It's just, it hasn't been my path. It hasn't helped or yeah. hurt me in any kind of way. Um, I certainly don't think it would hurt to do more comedic stuff on my page. I just haven't, you know, really found what works for me uh, organically. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so, so, um, so the work, yeah, there's, there's this, you know, my, when I first um, performed at the comedy store, people were looking at me. I mean, not even at that point, realistically a year and a half into my career. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the main room. There's three rooms, the comedy store, you know, even so it's, Belly room, original room, and and the main room. Yeah. And you got people like Chappelle who performed five hundred times in the in the main room, but prefer the belly room because it's more an intimate space. Anyway, I've done performed everywhere except the main room, and um, you know now six seven times. But there was this assumption that who was I fucking for the opportunity? Who does she know? And really, mm. it was like it, it started with. Um, I worked with some successful hosts of comedy events that 
may have not been the bigger shows on on the comedy store circuit, but they would book up and coming faces that brought people out, you know, these bringer show type thing where they weren't requiring you to, but they knew that you could. And then based on your performance and bringing people out, you would get rebooked and rebooked. And then you would the other bookers, the main bookers of the store would see you and then they'd see you hang out and they'd say, hey, do you want to take a five really quick and jump on this Mm -hmm. show? and jump on that show. And that's kind of how it spiraled. It was nothing more, nothing less. It was coming up, putting in the work, spending time at the club, you know, chit-chatting with the, the yeah. fellow comedians and bookers. And, and, and yeah, and to some degree, lucky maybe, but, but, but um, it was just that. Nothing more, yeah. nothing less. I didn't know anyone. I didn't, I didn't put a word out. No one put a word out for me. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, whatever way that they want to attack someone getting something, uh, because there is, there is comics out there that anytime they see someone get something, they think it's being taken away from them, which is not true because it's, you know, there's tons of things out there. Um, you know, but you're right. Like that's how, uh, that's the advice I give for comics trying to get into any kind of club is to be around, network try to get like that three minute guest set or something and just like really letting the bookers or promoters or whatever it is for that club know that hey i'm trying to make this my home base i'm trying to get this to be my thing um and then yeah that is exactly how you get that five minutes on a weekend show and they're giving you a little bit of a taste to be like, how do they do? You know, how do they how do they promote the show that they're being on? How do they treat the wait staff? Like they're looking at all of those things. And uh, it's it is truly sad that fellow comedians can be like, ah, it's because she's pretty or because, you know, we, she knows somebody, you know. Yeah. And um, which is also just, you know, it, it, it's a. Uh, such a a weird way of that but it's like I really try to like keep my circle of friends of such positive comedians that are like cheerleaders for each other you know and that's why I hang out for with the people or that's why when I go on tour I bring the people that I bring is because those people are the ones that are they're never mad when I get something and I'm never mad when they get something we're happy for each other yeah it's like rooting each other on I mean it's like that whole oh god I'm like Adam Sandler Mm-hmm. you know love or hate his his comedy and his roles or his movies his last special brings, was great his what his last special was very good oh yeah yeah it was really funny but you know he brings his his team you know rob schneider and um i can't think of half the names but you know all of them yeah. <laughs> they all come along with him and you always even if it's a weirdo one-liner part that rob schneider pops in in every single movie that mm-hmm. adam does He's taught, he's, 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 he's shown the world. Hey, like you can, you can bring your friends along for the ride and everyone can eat. There's enough for everybody. And that, and that's, that's yeah. Like what you were alluding to, there's enough to go around, you know? Um, And even, even the money thing and the fame thing with this whole new generation. um, And I can't say I, at times early in my career, we're talking now a decade ago that, you know, you get attached to the idea of something I had done, you know, my first film yeah. and, and I'll never forget this. And I don't have any regrets, but I like to tell this story because of the philosophy that I've uh, adapted as a result. I did this independent film. I was a lead. Like I said, I made a decent chunk of money for what it was for an under $5 million budget. I was put up in Colorado, um, whatever. 
you know, it was great. I booked, I beat, beat, out, I beat out a lot of name actors. That was all cool. It felt great. You know, dust your shoulders off, whatever. But coming off of that project, I had this, I wouldn't say unrealistic. I just had the wrong approach, um, which for me at the time, now years ago, was I'm going to be a movie star. And that's all I'm going to do is movies, movies, movies. Now, when you think about movies and you think about acting, you think about making a living, you may do two movies a year. And if you only do two movies a year and they take up the majority of your time, those two times out of the year, depending on how sizable the movies are, and that's all you do, that's not necessarily starting out if you actually know the money that's involved, unless you're a name actor um, and you're getting these, you know, the high negotiated rates. Uh, it's not a whole lot of money, so it can't be about the money. You know what I mean? Especially you got agent, manager, taxes, a lawyer, depending on what level you're at, an entertainment lawyer. Yeah. So you may make $30,000 for one movie and you shoot for a month. That's a good chunk of change for one month. But when you get everyone's cut, the taxes, you, you let's say you have to travel outside of your you know, you know, you're in your home. So you, then you have to deal with the expenses you leave behind. It's, you can't just call your, Hey, can you just turn off my rent for a month? You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so did this role. I'm like, I'm going to be a movie star, no turning back. And then two years later, I had an opportunity to do a contract role on a soap opera called young and the restless. Mm. Now soap operas, uh, back then were like, what reality shows are now mm-hmm. at the time. It was like, ew, you do a soap opera as a movie actor, you're downgrading, whatever. Right. It, that was what was painted to me. Okay. And I turned down the opportunity, turned it down. I was like, I don't want to get locked in this contract and not be able to take these movie auditions and be stuck and whatever. In hindsight, again, I'm not, I'm a big believer in, you know, moving forward and learning from your uh, experiences. And I don't want to say regrets or mistakes. Uh, everything happens for a reason. But when you can make a living doing what you love, as long as you're not compromising your ethics or ideals, that's the passion. That's the work. That's the belief. And so to think, especially with soap operas, if you know how they work, they have new scripts every day. They shoot five days a week. They have weekends off. They shoot maybe six months out of the year and you have the rest of the year off. And most of these soap stars make quarter of a million dollars a year base rate. Yeah. Now that's a great living. You're yeah. getting experience with new material as an actor every day. Yeah. It's monotonous because you're on the same set. You see some of the same people and crew or whatever, but no different than sitting in a fucking cubicle all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're actually doing what you love and you're, and you're honing your craft and you're working and you're under these extreme conditions of learning new material day after day after day. So um, that was an interesting turning point for me as a performer and never being above anything, even as a comedian, you know, even as an actor, like background work. I remember, oh, background work, ew. But when I was doing background work on a, uh, on a um, uh, Denzel film, yeah. And I was able to then meet these amazing people, learn some of these moving parts that I wouldn't have otherwise known on, on a large studio scale budget and humbling myself to learn. It's invaluable. It, it's really invaluable. And, that, and that's, then that's, you know, for me, where I 
kind of crown uh, my experience with really just being open and, and, and yeah. humble and willing. Yeah. Um, I've talked know, about it before. Yeah, was, yeah. I've talked about it before on the podcast, but like um, there's, there was this one gig that really sticks out in my mind talking about this where a booker messaged me and was like, Hey man, I know this is last minute. It was like a Tuesday. Right. And uh, he's like, I know this is last minute, but tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, I have a gig and I need a comic to just do 10 minutes of material before a band. Yeah. And it's a paid gig. You get to come out and all these other benefits that were part of it. Right. And I, you know, yeah. all these other things. And they're like, yeah, sell shirts if you want. And I was like, sure. So I brought my merch. I went and did it. It was lit- It was down the street from my house. I got paid to do 10 minutes before a band. It went really well. At first it was rough as always, like, but I've opened for bands many times. So it's like, I get it. Like the first right away, they're like, mm, why is this guy talking? And then, <laughs> and then you move into it. But like, I really got them on my side, got some, you know, Twitter followers out of it and sold some merch, all that stuff. Right. So it was like great for me, but uh, he told me in the message that he's like, yeah, three comics turn this down before I was like, I just, I'm just going to message Zach because I, he'll, he, he's probably in if he, if he's available. And um, it was like not much money, 10 minute spot, but doing that got me, I think three more gigs because of the booker of that booked three other things that were way bigger um, and got me like some, some good, uh, tour dates uh, out of it but it was just yeah. because I said yes one time to something that three other comics were like uh, it's below me it's below my rate I don't want to do that you know all these all these things where I'm like what else am I doing on a Wednesday yeah you know, I, I was probably going to go to an open mic anyways let me just turn this into my open mic and uh, and also the bands that were playing were amazing uh, so I I gotta see I gotta hang out with some bands afterwards but yeah, it was a great experience. But it, go, it goes back to like, don't I, especially in comedy, you're never above really much. <laughs> like, like you yeah. know, especially like, because there's something you can get out of it. Maybe it's you're selling your merch. Maybe you're getting, collecting some emails for your, your newsletter or maybe um, some Instagram followers or you're just getting good practice and you're like, hey, this is a good way to stretch my legs and do 30 minutes, you know. I would have to say that that's yeah. my number one is stage time. Yeah. And that's why being here in an open state is so uh, valuable as a comedian right now, because people are hungry for stage time. So yeah. I think for me, of all those things that are all great, um, we all know that we need live audiences. It's great. Zoom, cool. They're pivoting the creativity. Even these. Um, and I know the the guys behind, uh, it's called, um, oh God, in crowd. Are you familiar mm, with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know the stage designer, I know the guys who developed it, you know, it's just a matter of me getting out there and doing a date. Um, But, but that great, amazing, innovative concept. You got this live ish audience feel with an led panel full of faces and you're kind of able to perform in this 40 space. Awesome. It's still never going to be the same as a live audience. And we all know that. But if that was where the future of comedy was going entirely cool, I'll take that. But with the whole zoom when you got five faces and everyone's sounds are clashing and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's it's not you know your ideal yeah. comedy thing so if you can um stand up comedy if you can get stage time mm-hmm. and 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 that was my thing too even being out here is in la 
we had uh, like uh, open mic Bibles where, where we'd go on and there'd be an open mic anywhere, everywhere, seven days a week from nine in the morning to 10 p.m. at night. If you wanted to yeah. jump on and, and flex your muscle and try some new stuff out, you could. Out here, you know, the stages are open, but there's not a whole lot of open micing going on. And so uh, you are using your stage time to, to kind of stretch your legs sometimes with these larger venues. But uh, but having that opportunity in as in, in as a whole in general is still a blessing. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm kind of the almost the opposite of that of just like I'm waiting it out, you know, and because uh, I'm like I'm fine, you know. Uh, and then I, I just think like when things open up, I'll, I'll do a little practice here. And then I think I'll try to rebook the tour that I had, um, you know, with all those venues, but it, it, it you're a hundred percent right. Where it's like getting, uh, I always talk about, uh, quality over quantity is a big thing with open mics, you know, cause like you can go to like a Chicago or an LA or a New York and do a million, but like picking the right ones, getting the right quality out of it. And that's another thing that I truly have loved about Arizona. And I know for a fact when things, you know, when we kind of uh, open back up more, um, I know for a fact a lot of those shows will happen again. But like basically Monday to Sunday, there was some really good mics that I could really get good quality 10-minute sets, seven-minute sets. And um, throughout the week before I, you know, venture out to other parts of the country. But yeah, it, it, it is a it is a one of those things that's extremely important because like, you know, the advice you give someone for the first 10 years is just to get up as much as possible, you know, so. Yeah, 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 that's it. Get the experience. And that's, I would have to say like anything you're really passionate about, putting your 10,000 hours in. Mm -hmm. I, I was open micing for ever, it felt like. And then I was hosting which, oh my God, that's an incredible experience. I, I'm not crazy about hosting the show I do at House of Comedy, I host. Um, when I was doing it in Los Angeles, I got to the point where I would have other comics host and it was just my brand and I would jump on and feature. Mm. But um, anyway, so I was hosting, keeping that muscle tight, you know, learning to riff quickly in and yeah. out. You know, it's like improv, you know, you're learning quickly on the fly, um, you know, flexing that muscle. And then I was on stages and I was doing shows, shows um featuring or whatever and um but I did you know I I knew there was a formula and I could have jumped right into it but I wasn't ready and I knew that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if you just could quickly tell us a little bit about the show you have at the house yes. of comedy and then just tell yes. us where people can find you online absolutely so uh yeah you know I'm here based in Arizona and Phoenix I took uh, my Comics Unleashed show that I started in Los Angeles, had around the, the circuit there here to Arizona, and I was blessed with a residency at House of Comedy in uh, High Street, on High Street, Desert Ridge area. What I'm finding to that area, as beautiful as the space is, it touch and go with people actually coming out that way. I'm realizing it's not a centrally traveled area, but it's a beautiful space. It's an awesome venue. So I have a residency the first Wednesday of every month. Um, and that's Comics Unleashed. There's uh, another date coming up on February 3rd. And then I'm jumping on stages and different shows at that venue and others. So I keep all of my, uh, my dates in the bio of my Instagram. So follow me on Instagram at just Jess Rizzo. Uh, I'm not pretty active on Twitter or any of these other platforms as much as I am Instagram. So you can find the majority of my updates on Instagram. And then, uh, 
yeah, but my next show is kind of like a podcast style show at the House of Comedy next Wednesday. Oh, nice. I'll shoot your shot. Okay. And um, they're they're uh, doing, you know, kind of like uh, taking a funny past dating experience and you're telling that story live in context of, you know, a comedic play on that. So that should be fun, you know, interesting. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've got tons of dates coming up here as soon as the world resumes dates in other states. So just keep, you know, keep following me. And then God willing, one of these uh, TV film projects will give and you'll see me on the big screen soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Totally appreciate it. Likewise. Um, yeah, it was a great time. And I've been your host, Zach Lyman. This has been the Zach Lyman Podcast and outro music. Outro music.